0: Start your morning with the CNN Daily News Briefing. In just three minutes, we'll tell you about the stories that are making headlines around the world. To listen, tell your smart speaker to play the CNN Daily News Briefing, or find us in your favorite podcast
1: app.
2: Good evening, a big night breaking news on the shape of the impeachment trial, including Republican senators now talking about wanting to hear from witnesses and not wanting to immediately vote to dismiss the charges. Also, late word that the president's TV lawyer and alleged bagman Rudy Giuliani has been lobbying to join the impeachment legal team. New reporting as well on the president's claim that killing the Iranian general prevented imminent attacks on four American embassies and big developments as Democrats prepare for tomorrow night's debate here on CNN and lose another contender today. We close out the hour by marking 10 years since an earthquake devastated Haiti. We begin, though, this hour right now with more breaking news. It concerns the Ukrainian company Burisma, which is at the center of the impeachment saga. And not only does this new reporting stir memories of Russia's interference to the 2016 campaign, it is also very much in the here and now. Quoting from the lead of the story, with President Trump facing an impeachment trial over his efforts to pressure Ukraine to investigate former Vice President Joseph R. Biden Jr. and his son Hunter Biden, Russian military hackers have been boring into the Ukrainian gas company at the center of the affair, according to security experts. Joining me now is Matthew Rosenberg, who shares a byline on the story. He's a New York Times investigative correspondent, as well as a CNN national security analyst. Uh, Matthew, this is really extraordinary article that you've uh, you've written. Can you just lay out uh, what red flags this hacking now has raised and exactly what's going on?
3: So. The Russian hackers, they're from the GRU, the same unit that hacked the Clinton emails. They were detected kind of around November, attempting to kind and of do phishing emails to get the credentials of people inside Burisma, the company, at the center of this scandal, the company that Hunter Biden served on the board of. And the fear here is that what they're looking for is the same kind of dirt that Donald Trump wanted from Ukraine when he pressed them to open an investigation into Burisma. And that, you know, you're looking at a repeat potentially of 2016 when the Russians will get some dirt like they got, um... John Podesta's emails, and then weaponize that, use that to spread around, to create embarrassment, to kind of help their guy, in this case, Trump, and uh, hurt the Democrats. I mean,
2: it's remarkable. It is essentially, according to your reporting, the same playbook that the Russians ran against Democrats four years ago, and it's now happening again.
3: It certainly looks like it. And, you know, look, I think one of the things we all have to remember here is that disinformation, such as it is, is only really effective when it's based on something real. When you just put out a fake story, there's an ample amount of evidence that people tend to dismiss it at this point. People aren't dumb. When you take something that's real and you spin it, you create an echo chamber to kind of blast it around the internet and amplify it. That can have an effect. And um, the Russians know this, and, and it looks like they're looking for that real information to use. You know,
2: we know President Trump asked, you know, China to investigate uh, the, the Bidens um, and obviously Ukraine a- as well. Has he commented on, or has the White House made any comment about what you're reporting?
3: Uh, not yet. Um, we'll have to see.
2: I mean, it is essentially what President Trump has wanted. I mean, the end result, uh, which is dirt on the Bidens, it's the it is the very thing that he pressured Ukraine for.
3: Absolutely. And look, his... Rudy Giuliani, Giuliani, acting as his personal lawyer, is running a parallel effort, you know, poking around Ukraine, looking for the same kind of information. Um, Allegedly, Russian spies are supposedly doing the same. Uh, I think they all want the same end result, which is something that certainly does raise questions about why they want this and what the aim is here.
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess I of misspoke because really, President Trump, according to the testimony, what he really wanted was just the announcement of an investigation. This is actually... Uh, you know, they are actually now, according to the reporting, hacking, trying to hack into the company. Have they been successful?
3: So they have gotten in. They, they were able to get into Burisma's servers. They got credentials from a number of employees and got into the servers. Um, we don't know if, what they took, if they took anything. We don't know exactly what they were looking for. What we know here is a pattern. And you know, this hacking began in November as the public impeachment inquiry was about to get underway. Um, it, the scale of it and the fact they were only targeting mainly targeting Burisma, have kind of led to the conclusion that this looks like they were looking for information
2: on the Bidens. And what's the Biden campaign said?
3: You know, they've held it up as um, another example of their candidate's strength and the fact that Trump fears their candidate and now Putin fears their candidate. I mean, they're obviously not happy about this. Um, Matthew
2: Rosenberg, appreciate it. Fascinating reporting in The New York Times right now. Thank you. Joining us now is New Jersey Democratic Senator Bob Menendez, who sits on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Senator Menendez, what does it tell you that the Russians have hacked Burisma, or trying to, and gotten in uh, so far, according to The New York Times, in a similar way that they hacked Clinton's emails in the DNC in 2016?
4: Well, it's Russia doing President Trump's dirty work again. Remember, in the last campaign for president, Uh, candidate Trump at the time said, Russia, if you're hearing me, uh, you know, get Hillary's emails. And sure enough, they did. And now uh, the Russians are engaged once again in seeking to interfere in our elections and give an advantage to President Trump. And one must ask the question, uh, why do they do so? They do so because they obviously have come to the conclusion that President Trump, in terms of their relationships, uh, his potential relationship with uh, Russia and Putin, is better than some of these other candidates, including uh, Vice President Biden. Do you?
2: What would you like to hear from President Trump uh, about this? I mean, he's yet to comment. Uh, hard to imagine that he wouldn't comment at, at some point. He has called for not only Russia during the last campaign, but China uh, during Uh, this campaign to investigate the
4: Bidens. I I know what I'd like, uh, Anderson, I know what we won't get. We still could not get President Trump, despite all of his unanimous intelligence agencies, including the leaders of those agencies that he appointed, saying that Russia interfered. He says that he accepts President Putin's denial that he did not. Uh, He's happy to have Russia engaged in our elections as long as it's to his benefit. And he will not uh, do something, uh, you know, adverse to Russia in this regard. There are plenty of actions that he could take right now, setting some very severe sanctions, sanctions that are already in law that have not been
5: implemented for what happened already. America's getting back to work. In this new economy, your business needs every advantage to succeed. You need to be smart. And smart companies run on the world's number one cloud business system, NetSuite by Oracle. With NetSuite, you'll have visibility and control over every part of your business, your financials, HR, inventory, e-commerce, and more. It's everything you need, all in one place. Whether you're doing a million in sales or hundreds of millions, NetSuite lets you expertly keep track of every penny. It gives you the agility to compete with anyone, work from anywhere, and run your whole company right from your phone. Over 20,000 companies trust NetSuite to make it happen. Make yours one of them. Learn more by visiting netsuite.com ac360. From there, you can schedule a tour of NetSuite and get their free guide, Seven Actions Businesses Need to Take Now. It's chock full of the top strategies executives are using as America reopens for business. Get your free guide and product tour now at netsuite.com ac360.
4: And now, as a preventive, as a deterrence to Russia doing anything more, uh, and I would bet my bottom dollar will see none of that.
2: This new CNN reporting that Rudy Giuliani is lobbying President Trump to be part of his impeachment legal team and wants to present the president's case on the Senate floor, how do you think that would work or not work?
4: Well, that would be a double D. A delight for the House managers, a disaster for the president. A delight for the House managers, because having Giuliani, who probably should be a witness of anything, much less somebody arguing for the president, uh, would ultimately, they would be ultimately uh, able to throw his own words at him during the course of an interchange and cross-examination and or an uh, engagement and remind Giuliani what he said at any given time, which overwhelmingly is detrimental to the president. A disaster for the president because it would turn it into a circus versus the the serious legal proceedings uh, that are required of an impeachment trial. I think the American people want to see a full, fair, honest transparent trial and that means having witnesses but serious witnesses as well as documents every american has ever been involved in a trial as a juror as a participant knows that it involves witnesses and documents and they have to be relevant to the issue at hand
2: a, a number of republican senators indicated today that they were not in favor of a motion to dismiss impeachment with one republican saying there's almost no interest among all republicans to do that we also heard senator romney say he wants witnesses to be called at the trial do you think those are, are actual breaks in the Republican ranks or just, you know, moderate Republicans kind of giving themselves a little wiggle room?
4: I think they're listening, to hopefully, to the polls where two thirds of all of the American people want to see, for example, uh, f- uh, former National Security Advisor Ambassador Bolton testify. People like the president's chief of staff, Mulvaney, testify. And there's a difference between wanting to hear from them. They can guarantee by voting to have witnesses, uh, a small but very definite number of witnesses that can shed real light on what transpired here so we can come to an honest uh, decision. Uh, would be critical. They have the power in their hands. Either we will get witnesses because Republicans who are being patriots and not partisans will join us to have witnesses. And if we don't have witnesses, it will be because Republicans wanted a whitewash and not a real transparent trial.
2: There is reporting that uh, Susan Collins, Republican senator, is working with a small group of Republicans to allow witnesses at the trial. I'm wondering, I mean, how, from what you're hearing uh, from your fellow senators, how much confidence do you have that that might actually happen?
4: Well, without, uh, you know, uh, uh, betraying any confidences, if what several of my colleagues on the Republican side say to me is ultimately what they do, then there will be votes for witnesses. If, however... Uh, when the moment comes uh, where you need a, a profile encouraged, particularly with this president who abuses all of those who stand in his way, uh, and they collapse, uh, then we won't have witnesses. But I think there is a growing view among several Republicans who understand what an honest, a fair, transparent trial is. Witnesses and documents, listening to the American people, overwhelmingly want certain witnesses. Uh, I hope they'll answer the call of the Patriots.
2: I'm certainly not going to ask you names, but what you're saying is you have had, uh, and, and just, if the, just I want to make sure I hear this correctly, you've had Republican colleagues, Republican senators say to you they would like to see witnesses. Yes, yes. Do you think there are? I mean, what is it for is needed? Is that is are there enough?
4: I think it's it's within the universe of there being enough. The question is, when it comes time, wanting to see witnesses and voting to have witnesses are two different things. I hope they will vote to have witnesses.
2: Senator Menendez, I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. Just ahead, more in the upcoming impeachment trial, including the president's legal strategy, such as it is. Also, keeping mind, the president, uh, as President Trump stated, case for killing Qasem Soleimani unravels. He says it doesn't really matter if the Iranian general was planning imminent attacks, as Mr. Trump has claimed, why it might matter or absolutely does matter if the president lied to the American people. We'll be right back on that. And a new charge about the, an old meeting between Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren has the Vermont Center on the defensive tonight, What Senator Warren is now saying about the encounter just ahead.
6: Symptoms of overactive bladder, or OAB, may be bothersome. As many as 46 million Americans 40 years of age or older
7: have reported symptoms of OAB. I got to the point where I was constantly having to plan my outings around being able to go to the bathroom. Felt like my bladder was calling the
6: shots. Many people like her decided enough was enough. It was time to talk to a doctor. We spoke to a few of them to hear their stories in their own words. Listen in at oabmed.com and hear how they discovered Mirbetric Mirabegron.
5: Mirbetric is a prescription medicine for adults used to treat OAB symptoms of urgency, frequency, and leakage. Do not take if you have a known allergic reaction to Mirbetric or its ingredients. Mirbetric may increase blood pressure. Tell your doctor right away if you have trouble emptying your bladder or have a weak urine stream. Mirbetric may cause serious allergic reactions like swelling of the face, lips, throat or tongue or trouble breathing. If experienced, stop taking and tell your doctor right away. Mirbetric may interact with other medicines. Tell your doctor if you are taking thioridazine, melaril and melaril-S, fleconide tambicor, propafenone, rhythmalt, digoxin, linoxin or solophenicin, succinate, vesicare. Tell your doctor if you have liver or kidney problems. Common side effects include increased blood pressure, common cold or flu symptoms, sinus irritation, dry mouth, urinary tract infection, bladder inflammation, back or joint pain, constipation, dizziness, and headache. See our ad in Reader's Digest magazine or call 1-855-697-2387.
6: Hear real stories about how Mirbetric can help OAB symptoms at OABmed.com and ask your doctor if it could help you. That's OABmed.com.
2: president says a, cl- a source close to him, quote, is never going to have Rudy Giuliani represent him in the Senate trial, starting with the problem that he's a potential witness, which says a lot right there. Then again, this is a president who, of course, seems to improvise. And Giuliani one of the few insiders who seem to know how to sway him. So it is possible, I suppose. For more now, I want to go to CNN's Jim Acosta at the White House. So this new CNN yeah. reporting that Giuliani's lobbying the White House to get on the president's defense team. What do you know about it?
8: Yeah, Anderson, I think Giuliani has been pining for this for some time now. Uh, It is falling on uh, deaf ears uh, going over like a Led Zeppelin over here at the White House. Anderson, I I talked to a number of sources this evening, some of my colleagues, uh, Pam Brown and and Jeremy Diamond. Yes, Giuliani has been lobbying the president uh, about this idea of joining the president's impeachment trial team. uh, But in the words of one source, uh, yes, uh, Giuliani could potentially be called as a witness. And so uh, what would Giuliani do, call himself to the stand? And so that, that's why it appears to be a non-starter at this point. But as you said, Anderson, uh, this president has been unpredictable at times. Talked to a White House official earlier this evening who really sort of threw cold water on the whole idea and said that that's one variable the president doesn't need at this point.
2: The White House, they want the the Senate impeachment trial rules to include a resolution that could dismiss the charges against the president after opening arguments. Yeah. Um is that i mean that didn't wasn't the president for a while kind of wanting a big made for tv trial
8: that is that is what we were reporting and that is what the president was saying late last year that he wanted this big splashy trial wanted witnesses like Hunter Biden and Joe Biden and the whistleblower and so on. And uh, you heard uh, top deputies over at the White House saying the same thing when they would go out in front of the cameras. That talk has largely gone away. And now you're hearing the president and some of his uh, people inside the administration talk to a White House official this evening who said, yeah, if they could potentially get away with having a uh, motion to dismiss this trial, they'll take it. Uh, but at this point, the the going uh, thinking at this point, Anderson, is is that they believe that there will be some sort of trial. It might last two to three weeks. And Anderson, listen, one of the things that a White House official told me earlier this evening is that they are not dealing with the House anymore. And while over in the House, uh, input might have been welcomed by the White House, they understand when they're dealing with senators, even Republican senators, it's a different dynamic and that senators don't like being t- told what to do. So you do get the sense, talking to sources over here, Anderson, that they're going to take a bit more of a hands off approach in, in dealing with these
2: senators and pressuring uh, for what they want out of this trial. Jim Costum, thanks very much from the White House tonight. Appreciate it. Joining us now is CNN's chief legal analyst and former federal prosecutor Jeffrey Tubin and CNN's senior legal analyst and former U.S. attorney Preet Bharar. Um, Preet, what do you make of this? I mean, uh, both... Uh, Romney and Senator Collins are talking about having witnesses. Do you think there's actually enough momentum for that?
9: You know, it's hard to say. Um, Romney was very careful to say that he believed in the Clinton model and that he believes that one witness, you know, there are a number of witnesses that the Democrats want to call. But one witness, uh, John Bolton, he would vote in favor of his coming, but not necessarily at the outset. At some point later, after initial you know, arguments have been made and opening statements and presentations have been made. So he's rattling around about that. Collins says, we know we need two more, maybe Murkowski, maybe one other. Um, I think partly it depends on what the public thinks and how much public pressure there is. It seems very difficult. I don't know if Jeff agrees with this. It seems very difficult not to call John Bolton because he seems to have made it clear that he's prepared to testify. If, if the Senate issues a subpoena, he's an important witness. He's the most high-ranking witness Um, He says through his lawyer that he has additional and new information. But the president
6: has said he would stop that. That he would. Well, we'd have to see how that plays out. I have I have a different view. Okay. My view of the United States Senate is whatever Mitch McConnell wants, Mitch McConnell gets. He doesn't want witnesses. He thinks this thing needs to be shut down very quickly. And, you know, these moderates, they always talk a good game. You know, Susan Collins is always about to do something that she never actually does. And uh, I just don't think they're going to be they're going to be any witnesses. Uh, they, 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 it, how how it actually plays out. Um, I, I don't know. I suspect one way it may play out is that the Republicans put in a poison pill. Like they say, the only reason we'll have witnesses is if Hunter Biden is also Joe a witness Biden. or Joe Biden, which will sort of blow up the whole thing. But I, I just don't think Mitch McConnell wants yeah. witnesses, there might be there some cost. Be witnesses. There might be some
9: cost in public perception to not calling at least John Bolton. And I agree. Look, I agree with, with Jeff to the extent that it's impossible to state how much Mitch McConnell is able to withstand pressure and public shaming. Just witness Merrick Garland. If he thinks it's good for his side, he won't, he
2: won't do it. What about the, the notion of dismissing the trial altogether? The president tweeted over the weekend, he said, many believe that by the Senate giving credence to a trial based on the no evidence, no crime, read the transcripts, no pressure, impeachment, hoax, rather than an outright dismissal, it gives the partisan Democrat witch hunt credibility that it
6: otherwise does not have. I agree. Senator Hawley from Missouri sort of has raised the possibility of dismissing the case right away. I, I think there could be sort of a hybrid situation where they don't dismiss it right away, but they dismiss it after the presentations of the lawyers, the House managers and, the, uh, and, and uh, Trump's lawyers. Uh, I, I, the, the fact that, that um, Romney and Collins have said they're not for dismissing it right away doesn't mean they won't ultimately vote to dismiss it. So, you're, I mean, that could, it could. you're saying after, what, a couple of days? It could be after, after a few days, yeah. I mean, the, the, we, the, we'll know more about the procedure tomorrow, but I think they are... Um, McConnell wants this thing over fast, and I think that means it's going to be over fast. It, do, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me um, if you're going
9: to hear some testimony, or maybe not testimony, but at least presentations, and depending on how invested in that performance the public is and how much they're looking forward to having witnesses, to then move to dismiss at that point, and I guess the way it would work, you agree with me, right? It would, it would go to the first to the chief justice, and the chief justice would make a decision about
6: dismissing. I don't think that he would. No, I mean, the, he's going to the, the, and, and, and uh, leave it but, to But, this, but then the understand.
9: thing that people need to be aware of is to the extent the chief justice has some power, all of it can be overruled. Any decision by the chief justice can be overruled by a simple majority of senators. I think it looks kind of terrible, and you know, we know that he can withstand terrible appearances, Mitch McConnell, but it looks particularly terrible <clears throat> to move to dismiss, have that denied by the Chief Justice, of the United States Supreme Court appointed by a Republican, not this president, but another Republican, and have that overruled by fiat by a
6: simple majority of senators. I just I don't see that happening. The, the other thing to remember about witnesses is all the witnesses will show that the president is guilty. Because he is guilty. Well, we don't know what Bolton would say. Well, I mean, what could he say that would be not incriminating? I mean, you know, why would he call the interactions with Giuliani a drug deal if he thought this was a wonderful, a, a wonderful negotiation? He could give
9: inappropriately a legal opinion and he could say, look. I thought it was a drug deal. I thought it was terrible stuff. I thought he shouldn't have said those things. I thought it was not wise. But, but a but nice not, drug deal. But it's not, right, but it's not criminal. It's okay. not impeachable. Well, Which,
6: okay. uh, he, that's the best he could do. He, I think. he could, yeah.
2: The White House, uh, how, I assume they, you consider them wise for not jumping at the chance to have Giuliani be part of the team arguing. Just
6: because just we want Rudy Giuliani for, for, <laughs> the, for the entertainment I'm, factor. I'm tempted
9: to say I think it will be very
6: wise. Yeah, yeah, I, wise I, I, I don't that. think so. What, what's interesting is that the, this controversy about whether House Republicans are part of the defense team, because, you know, this, the, the interaction between the two bodies is so interesting. You know, the, the, the members of the House all think the senators are a bunch of pompous asses. And the senators all think the House members are a bunch of partisan lunatics. Now, both of them are kind of right about that. But <laughs> send, your is, letters, send your letters to Mr.
10: Tube. but. but, but
6: It probably does make sense to keep the House members away from the Republican Senate.
9: So I work in the Senate, not in the House. And, you know, there were members of the Senate who had a little bit of that view and thought we should maybe in the country move to a unicameral system (laughs) (laughs) at some point. But but look, but Trump can have the best of both worlds. He can have, you know, smart, sober minded, responsible attorneys who have some, you know, continue to have some dignity and intelligence in presenting the case in the Senate. But then he can also have the House folks like Doug Collins and others on television to press the case on Fox News and to his base in public, because I don't know how much people are gonna watch of the hearings. And that's sort of what he's been doing all along, right? He's had some lawyers that nobody's ever heard of who are super smart and are dealing with the niceties of the of the legal principles behind closed doors. But then he has people like Giuliani and yeah. others on television pressing the case.
2: Doug, Paul, Doug Collins apologized. He did. How we were wrong. That? Yeah, I was so wrong. So the other I night said we said we he wasn't going
9: to apologize, apologize yeah. for saying that Democrats are in love with terrorists. And he did, yeah. although he didn't apologize in the same forum where he made the statement.
2: Well, it's easier to do it just online yes. or you yes. know, rather than going on Hannity or one of those folks. Right. Uh, appreciate it. Jeffrey Tubin as well. Thank you very much. Still to come. First, it was one embassy. Then it was four. That we're facing some kind of imminent threat of Iranian attack, according to the president tonight though, the new CNN reporting on steps that would have been taken if the threats were real, those steps were not taken, and there's new line from the president that it really doesn't matter why he ordered the killing of Qasem Soleimani. We keep him honest ahead. There's new reporting tonight that undercuts the president's stated case for killing Iranian General Qasem Soleimani, and it's almost like he saw it coming, as if he were maybe expecting his story to unravel, because this morning he tweeted that it doesn't really matter what he and his top advisors have been telling the Congress and the public. And I'm quoting now, quote, "...the fake news media and their Democrat partners are working hard to determine whether or not the future attack by terrorist Soleimani was imminent or not, and was my team in agreement." The answer to both is a strong yes, but it doesn't really matter because of his horrible past. Well, keeping on honest, that's not so outlandish to think. A truly bad actor is gone, after all. Why fixate on it? Well, here's how the president put it late today.
8: We killed Soleimani, the number one terrorist in the world by every account. Bad person killed a lot of Americans, killed a lot of people. We killed him.
2: Well, he certainly was bad, just like the president said. The U.S. did kill him, and it Doesn't really matter why, says the president, except it does because there are repercussions to killing a bad guy, reprisals, potential proxy attacks on Americans or American allies, even all out hostilities between the U.S. and Iran. Had even one of the missiles that Iran fired at American troops in Iraq actually killed anyone, we might right now be launching another long, bloody war in the region. And wouldn't you want that war to not be started on false premises? So with all due respect to the president, it does matter whether justification for killing an admittedly terrible guy is BS or not. Whether this claim that Soleimani was plotting attacks, imminent attacks on four American embassies is or isn't so.
3: I can reveal
8: that I believe it would have been four embassies, but Baghdad certainly would have been the lead.
2: Well, keep in mind, State Department officials tell CNN's Kylie Atwood that department personnel involved in embassy security were not made aware of any such threats to four specific embassies. And they weren't alone. Neither was the Secretary of Defense, Mark Esper, who spent much of Sunday morning on the Washington talk shows trying to explain the president's claim. Well,
3: the president didn't say there was a tangible. Uh, he didn't cite a specific piece of evidence. What he said is he probably he believed. Are you saying there wasn't been, one? I didn't see one with regard to four embassies.
2: So he didn't see uh, imminent attack on, with regard to four embassies. That was yesterday. Today, the president says it really doesn't matter. The irony is, as CNN Global Affairs analyst Max Boot writes in The Washington Post, there actually are a number of legitimate justifications for killing Soleimani the president could have turned to if he weren't so invested in what now appears to be a dramatic but increasingly questionable one. Boot writes, what the administration is doing is legally and perhaps even strategically justifiable. All Trump has to do is come clean with the American people. Instead, the president seems to be doing the opposite. And when that doesn't work, doing this, retweeting a doctored photo of the House speaker and Senate minority leader in front of an Iranian flag dressed as you see them. Joining us now is Senator Tim Kaine, Democrat of Virginia, has introduced a war powers resolution on Iran. Senator Kaine, the fact that this administration, when all else fails, is trying to come up with an explanation (laughs) has now turned to just uh, insulting Democrats uh, in a way that at the same time he claims to be standing with the Iranian people he is draping you know, Democrats in, uh, in garb that is worn by Iranians, and that's an insult, according to the president.
10: Well, look, he's insulting Democrats, but Anderson, the real issue is he's insulting all of Congress and the Constitution. The Constitution says we shouldn't go to war without deliberation by Congress. And when the administration briefers came last week, many days after the Soleimani strike to finally brief us, they were contemptuous of Congress. They acted like we were an annoyance rather than we were part of the constitutional framework. The reason that Congress is supposed to declare war is A, so we don't rush into it, and B, if we're gonna order our best and brightest to risk their lives and risk their health, it should be based upon a debate in full view of the American public, where we end up saying this is a war that's in the national interest. The president wants to insult not just Democrats with stupid juvenile tweets. He's insulting all of Congress by pretending that Congress doesn't doesn't have a role in war making. I mean, do you believe the explanation is coming from the White House, specifically the president saying that Soleimani was, was targeting four
2: embassies or the no. president believe. No, you don't. No,
10: absolutely not. No, I think when, when the evidence was presented to us last week in the classified setting, I can't talk about the discussions there, but I can tell you this, it added up to far less than an imminent threat. And that's the real key issue. The president can always defend the nation against an imminent attack without seeking anybody's permission. But if he wants to go on offense and wage war against another nation or a group, he's got to come to Congress for permission. He didn't want to seek permission, so they tried to suggest that there was this imminent a threat, but as you point out, it's falling apart. The president makes up this thing about four embassies. We, we heard nothing about that. And the State Department itself and the embassies affected were not given notice that they were at risk.
2: Soleimani was obviously a, you know, a a thug, a killer, responsible for the deaths of many Americans and and many, many uh, others. What would have been wrong about killing him and just saying, well, you know, in general, he is plots attacks and he plots uh, actions against U.S. interests.
10: Would that have been okay? Well, look, here's the situation. It wasn't just the killing of Soleimani Anderson. It was that they killed him. Uh, without notifying Congress or seeking congressional approval when there's never been a declaration of war against Iran, and they killed him on Iraqi soil. Iraq is an ally of ours, and they've objected to the U.S. turning Iraq into a you know, like a coliseum where the U.S. and Iran will wage war to the detriment of Iraqis. So what you've ended up doing is nobody's sad that Soleimani's gone. Is Iran a bad actor? Sure. But this president has rushed us to the brink of war where Iran and the United States are now uh, inflicting battlefield casualties each on the other without being plain with Congress and with the American public. We got lied into a war with Iraq in 2002 and now everybody realizes it. the administration said there are weapons of mass destruction in the war. the last thing we need to do is to be lied into another war with claims of imminent threats that didn't exist The, the sheer number
2: of inconsistencies that
10: are routinely
2: coming out of the administration i mean outright lies um whatever you want to call it are you concerned about the message it sends to both allies and adversaries
10: uh both um first The allies begged us stick with the diplomatic deal against Iran. You curtail their nuclear program and you've maintained all of your ability to sanction the other behavior. So we have we have really messed up our relations with our allies by walking out of a deal that we worked on together with them as well as the president's horrible remarks about so many of our allies now we've threatened the relationship with Iraq as you know Anderson this is a relationship that the US has earned with blood and treasure sacrificed on behalf of the Iraqis especially in the battle against ISIS and now Iraq is asking the US to leave the country because we we uh, ignored their objections to doing military strikes on Iraqi soil so yes we have Uh, made our allies mad. We're emboldening our adversaries. Russia, Iran and China just did joint naval exercises in the Gulf. These are nations that don't have a good history of relationships with each other, but the president's actions are driving our adversaries Mm. together. And this is exactly why the framers of the Constitution said, look, war should be Deliberated about carefully in front of the whole view of the American public because we shouldn't be ordering our troops to risk their lives and health unless Congress is willing to put their thumbprint on it. We don't want this president or any president to take us into an unnecessary war on his own. And your War Powers resolution, when do you think that might come to a vote? We think it's likely this week. Senator Schumer today said it will be voted on this week. So within the next few days, um, and the resolution is pretty simple. It says the U.S. is engaged in hostilities. We are. There's no previous congressional authorization that suggests we should be at war with Iran. There isn't. Um, And basically, under the War Powers Act, I can then ask, that the U.S. withdraw its troops from hostilities against Iran. The two exceptions would be defending against an imminent attack if there's real evidence that there is one the president can act on his own or Congress can pass an authorization or declaration. So under those circumstances, we're going to protect ourselves. But we shouldn't let this president or any president rush us into a war, especially a war based on shifting explanations that are proving to be false.
2: Mm. Senator Kane, I appreciate your time. Thank you.
10: Absolutely, Anderson.
2: Up next, 21 Days Until Iowa, one night before the next debate here on CNN, and an old meeting between uh, Senator Bernie Sanders and Senator Elizabeth Warren has grabbed the headlines and put the Sanders campaign on the defensive. We have a new comment from uh, uh, Senator Warren. Details just ahead. We have more breaking news. Just a short time ago, Senator Elizabeth Warren weighed in on a story that's put a surging Bernie Sanders on the defensive just 21 days before the Iowa caucuses and a day before the next Democratic debate. She now confirms the details of a story reported by CNN's MJ Lee about a private meeting the two senators had just over a year ago about their prospective presidential campaigns. Tonight, Warren says, and I quote, among the topics that came up was what would happen if Democrats nominated a female candidate. I thought a woman could win. He disagreed. She also said she has no interest, quote, in discussing this private meeting any further because Bernie and I have far more in common than our differences on punditry. Now, prior to Warren's statement, CNN had reported the story, according to four sources, including two who had spoken with Warren after the meeting. At that time, Sanders says his words were being mischaracterized, quote, staff who weren't in the room are lying about what happened, unquote. Joining us now, CNN commentator uh, Bakari Sellers, a former South Carolina legislator and CNN senior political analyst and USA Today columnist, Kirsten Powers. Kirsten, now that Senator Warren has confirmed essentially what her aides were saying earlier today, or at least what two people who she talked to afterward uh, said. Does this become a bigger uh, point of contention between them publicly now?
7: Well, I think it's a point of contention because he said it didn't happen, right? It's not, in itself, I don't actually, I know a lot of people are trying to make it into some, to a really big deal, but it sounds like, especially based on her longer statement, she, she refers to this as punditry. So it wasn't Bernie Sanders saying, I don't think a woman should be president. It, it might have been Bernie Sanders just saying you know, that he didn't think that a woman could win in, in this in this climate or something like that. Um, so I but I think the fact that he has now claimed that it didn't happen and she's saying it did happen, that does turn it into something more than maybe what it would have been if if he just would have explained that, you know, that was just his punditry.
1: Bakari, how do you see it? Well, I think Bernie Sanders has some explaining to do. I, I actually agree with Kirsten on the fact that he probably got, uh, this probably got discombobulated with his words talking about the fact that misogyny, because he said it many times over. And so has Joe Biden. The misogyny has played a role uh, in Hillary Clinton's election and may not play a role uh, if Bernie Sanders or Joe Biden is the nominee. However, um, I, I do think that there are many people who believe, including myself, that this falls into uh, the same old tropes and and, and kind of steering away. Uh, from what Bernie Sanders likes to call identity politics. And the irony in all of this is that he got beat by four million votes by a woman and a woman actually beat uh, Donald Trump by 2.8 million votes. So. Uh, That's a bit ironic here. And I think that Elizabeth Warren coming out and clearing this up and saying this the night before a debate is pretty bold. And so we'll have fireworks tomorrow night on the stage. Yeah. I mean, Senator Sanders in his statement also today also said, you know,
2: pointed to Hillary Clinton saying, you know, she won the the popular vote. And so uh, obviously he says he doesn't believe uh, the the comment that's being attributed to him, I mean the race Kirsten is so in Iowa is so tight, and with the caucus system it's obviously much more unpredictable. Um, Warren and Sanders you know you can make the argument are competing for the same votes. I know some people will say uh, you know that that Warren voters won't necessarily definitely go to Sanders, but right. I mean this was sort of bound there it was bound to happen at some point the two of them having to uh You know, as they like to say, point out differences between them or, you know, throw elbows.
7: Yeah, I mean the only way it wouldn't have happened is if one of them dropped out. But it was inevitable if they both stayed in the race at some point, they were going to have to draw contrasts with each other. And I do think the media can kind of overstate it when when they make contrasts with each other into an attack. Um, when they have they have to make they have to criticize each other. They have to make distinctions for people. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, even how it's been described, this this script that was being used by Bernie Sanders, uh, you know people people who are canvassing, I guess. You know, as she, she's saying she was being trashed. I mean, I don't think you're being trashed when somebody is just drawing a distinction with you. You can say whether you think it's fair or not true, but at some point they have to make distinctions from each other, and that's completely fair game.
2: And Victoria high level Sanders surrogate, Nina Turner, has written an op ed criticizing former Vice President Biden's record with, with black voters. Um, I'm wondering what you made of what, of what she was saying.
1: I love Nina, but I don't think that uh, that op-ed is really worth the paper it was written on. I I, I think that uh, if you look at at Joe Biden's record, I've been on this show and been very critical of Joe Biden. I've been critical of of the crime bill, et cetera. However, uh, you can point to instances over the past decades that he's been in office in which he has been there and been a champion for, for civil rights. And he's been there and he's been a champion. He does have blind spots in his record, but so does Bernie Sanders. I mean, the fact of the matter is that there are individuals like myself who look back over Bernie Sanders record and simply say, since you marched in the civil rights movement till you ran for president in 2014, 2015, where have you been? And so I I do believe uh, that that that, uh, op-ed piece, although I love Nina, what was a bit unfair, uh, more than a bit, what was was justifiably unfair. And I think that when you look at, especially black voters in the South and South Carolina and throughout Super Tuesday, what you'll see is that, you know, you have a vice president who worked for Barack Obama that is going to cleanse a lot of his misdeeds. Um, Whether or not you like it or not, and the fact that Cory Booker got out the race today adds another three to five points to his cushion throughout the South. And so, Bernie Sanders is, is trying to play catch up. He's firing uh, just kind of willy nilly against the wall. But as Kirsten said, this is this isn't Tilly winks. This is politics. This is a contact sport. So good for all of those who are advocating for those candidates as fiercely as they possibly can. Mm. We'll come together at the convention. Yeah, Cory
2: Sellers, Kirsten Powers. Thanks very much. Quick reminder: CNN Democratic uh, Presidential Debate in partnership with the Des Moines Registers. Tomorrow night, 9 p.m. Eastern, here on CNN, six candidates will be on the stage. We'll be there in uh, Des Moines, covering it all. Up next on 360 Tonight, a special mission to help the animals impacted by Australia's bushfires. There are at least 105 bushfires burning in Australia tonight. Whole towns have had to evacuate in recent weeks. More than 2,000 homes are destroyed, and at least 27 people have died including volunteer firefighters. There's also special concern for the animals. Take a look at this. Authorities have airdropped more than 2,000 pounds of sweet potatoes and carrots across parts of the country to help wild animals survive. Among them, the brush-tailed rock wallabies. Where it's possible, authorities say they'll try to set up remote cameras to monitor the food drop and see that the animals are, in fact, eating. I want to check in with Chris, uh, Chris Cuomo. to see what he's working on for Cuomo primetime. Chris?
0: Yeah, this is um, a real litmus, pest, uh, litmus test for me, this story with the fires. There was a time where you and I, certainly you, uh, would have been in Australia for a long time. Mm. There's a time we would have been in and out of Puerto Rico two or three times. And it's really interesting that with globalization and social media and supposedly the world's getting smaller and smaller, I feel like we just don't care enough um about things anymore there's like compassion fatigue oh the fires i heard about it it's terrible no it's still ongoing it's it's getting worse yeah i know i was in california i know what do you think's going on
2: i don't think I i don't think it's that people don't care i mean i think people do care i just think people are so focused or we're so focused on politics right now that it's hard to get away to go places and actually shoot stuff i i would like to
0: I feel it. Well, I know you would. You're one of the best in the business, if not the best, at doing exactly wow, wow, that. Wow. Shut up. So what I'm saying is, I, I hope you're right, actually. I, I hope mean, it's I'm, that we're just super focused on this right now. And if we weren't, that there would be an audience.
2: I have no that. doubt of that. I wonder. I don't know if there'd be an audience, but I, we, I, we would do it. I mean, I think that's what Oh, no, no. CNN we would definitely
0: does. do it. I'm, when I say us, I don't mean us. Right. I'm saying like... You know, we got to get into that. We got to start caring about and by each the way. Other on all we got levels.
2: you know, Will Ripley's over there. We got a lot of people oh, yeah. covering those things.
0: So. Oh yeah, no, we put a lot of people on the ground. But I'd love to see that people demand yeah. more of that. That I would agree. be great. But you are the man. I don't care if you like it or not. I said it.
2: <laughs> so what are you doing tonight? That's
0: I it? am okay. talking to you. Now we're going to be going through uh, what the state of play is on Iraq. And I had some drama uh, with my booking tonight. I was supposed to have Danny DeVito. I don't. We're yeah. going to go into why
2: tonight. Okay intriguing Chris About thanks. Bernie. He's a Bernie Sanders supporter. All right. I'll see you in just a couple of minutes. Uh, as you know, the devastating earthquake in Haiti 10 years ago yesterday. We remember tonight when we continue. I want to end tonight's program marking an important moment. 10 years ago yesterday at 4.53 p.m. to be exact, an earthquake measuring 7.0 struck Haiti. Through a combination of luck and the unparalleled resources of this network, we were able to make it into Port-au-Prince early the following day. These are some of the very first images uh, we saw in our first hour on the ground. Block after block, bodies and cries, stunned stunned people staggering through the rubble. Others digging with bare hands, bare and bloodied hands, to find friends or neighbors or strangers trapped beneath collapsed concrete. It turns out it's a 13 year old girl who's trapped here. Her name is B. She's clearly alive. You can hear her crying out. You can see two of her feet at this point. They've been able to. uh...
0: She's
7: clearly in in
2: pain. Uh, They discovered her early this morning. It's now a little past 12. B was lucky, but hundreds of thousands of other Haitians were not. To this day, there's no accurate death toll. 200,000 people, 300,000. Estimates vary. The whole number will never be known. After the quake, governments and aid groups and people all across America and the world donated money. Billions of dollars were spent. Doctors and nurses and engineers and volunteers came and helped All that money, all those people that saved lives that built homes and schools and hospitals that gave shelter to more than a million who needed it and food and medicine. But permanent solutions, those those are hard to come by. And fundamental changes are hard to achieve. Ten years ago tonight, we did our first broadcast from Haiti. Wherever you are watching this broadcast throughout the world, I hope you can hug a loved one close and thank God that you are not in Port-au-Prince tonight. I had the honor of staying there for about a month and been going back ever since. There's something about Haiti that calls you back, something about the place and the people. There is a a strength in Haiti, and you see it right away. We saw it 10 years ago when a five-year-old boy named Monley was brought to a hospital after being trapped under his collapsed house that killed his parents for more than seven days he was trapped. He survived on rainwater. What's he saying? You want
0: to drink some juice. You want to drink some juice.
2: Manley is 15 now, and after thinking for a while he wanted to become a doctor, he recently changed his mind and now wants to become an engineer. He also obviously likes soccer. Manley is strong, and so is his country. Haiti survives. The quake, the mudslides, the cholera, the mismanagement, the inequality, the unfairness. Haiti endures. There was a phrase we often heard Haitians say to one another in the days after the quake, when they were picking each other up, when they were living together under tarps. Swabrab, they would say. Be brave. Brave is what they were 10 years ago tonight, and it's what they are still tonight. We who are lucky enough to be there, who are privileged enough to be there and reporting on it, we remember and we will never forget it. In just a moment, don't miss our uh, edition of Full Circle, our digital news show, where I'll talk with actor and activist Sean Penn about his efforts over the past decade in Haiti and what stands out for him. He established a relief organization, CORE on the ground and has been trying to help Haiti ever since. He's still working there and as well as other places. That's in a few minutes at cnncom circle or watch it there anytime on demand. The news continues. I want to hand over, to Chris, for Cuomo Prime Time, Chris.